Jessica Walter died, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Of Arrested Development fame. A lot of people have died recently, and Jessica Walter is the latest. It's it's a bummer because that means they could never make more Arrested Development. They, were planning well, they, on, they could bring her back. They are planning on making a movie. <laughs> what? Either through Dark Magics or the miracle of deep fake. <laughs> the tech we have these days, no one's ever truly gone. Let's be honest. I mean, just last year or two years ago, they were talking about bringing back James Dean. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, all bets are off, I think, from this point moving forward. But who's going to do that for Obviously, the development? I don't know. Anyway, the point stands. Jessica, rest in peace. But we'll be seeing you for the Arrested Development Season 6. I was so glad we got a Season 5. By the way, if none of you out there have seen Arrested Development Season 5, you should watch it. It's actually really good. You're going to get a little bit of flack from our five listeners for that take. <sighs> it's not a hot take. It's very good. Most people that have watched it... No, 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 no. Most people don't like Seasons 4 and 5. Even like if one's better than the other, they just generally speaking, they don't appreciate it i can't speak on it personally because i haven't really watched very much i think i've seen a couple episodes of the new seasons and then i saw season one i haven't watched very much of anything i don't know why i'm here (laughs) i've seen this movie what movie are we doing today today we're talking about the sound of metal or just sound of metal there's no the there's no it's like joker it's not the joker i know that that's gonna be that's a great bit whole podcast my favorite bit we've ever done (laughs) we peaked at episode four (laughs) (laughs) it's all down we peaked with Parasite. Ah, <laughs> uh, true. Let's get into it. Yeah. Stats. Okay, this movie was directed, and then, uh... <laughs> it was directed <laughs> by a man known as Darius Martyr. Martyr with a D. There's a small chance that he's French. I don't really know. That'll come into play later. But, yeah, Darius Martyr, and this was his first feature. He's worked in film in the past, most notably as co-writing the screenplay with Derek Cianfrance on um, Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, The Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, which is one of my favorite films. Anyway, he was co-writing that script with Derek C. France. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I, we have a real hard time with pronouncing names on this podcast, especially with international crew. Yeah, this is the first time feature debut of Darius Martyr. Co-wrote this screenplay with his brother. There you go. I mean, I'm assuming it's his brother because they share a last name. His brother, Abraham Martyr. And <laughs> this, this screenplay was sort of taking from an original piece that Derek Cian France, again, had been working on over a decade ago. He was working on a docufiction film called Metalhead with a very similar premise. That one was about a metal band or a, the drummer had lost his hearing. I think in that one, he had actually blown it out himself rather than just lost it. Jeez. But that film never finished being made. And so he got his friend Darius to, I guess, adapt his unfinished work. And he and their team created uh, Sound of Metal, which is a good movie. Who was the director of photography? The director of photography, Stephen, was another name who I'm going to have difficulty pronouncing. 
It's Daniel Bouquet, but the E in Daniel has a... Dots? Double dots. I think it's pronounced diuresis. <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh, so that's why I said it. So that leads me to believe that Daniel is pronounced Danielle. Oh. Uh, anyway, not a lot of credits. That person has done a lot of work before, but this is also their first feature, I think. This is a pretty good looking film, to be honest. I think also that was probably because of the way it was colored. Yeah. Who edited this movie? Yeah, I think, well, before we move on to that, I was going to say, based off, jumping off from what you said, this, I think Darius Martyr took a lot of his style from Derek Cien France, uh, you know, from stuff like Place Beyond the Pines and yeah. Blue Velvet, because it has a very intimate sort of kind of indie film feel, if not, you've seen those films. Not Blue Velvet. Blue Valentine. Blue Valentine. Blue Velvet's David Lynch. I was going to say. That's not what I meant at all. I know all. what you're talking about, but you're wrong. <laughs> what, Ryan Gosling and... Anyway. And who edited this movie? It was edited by Mikkel E.G. Nielsen. Okay. Who did Beasts of No Nation. Oh. Yeah, which was, I think, Netflix's first or second original production. Yeah. This film, by the way, is on Amazon Prime. Yes, not it Netflix. is. That's important. It was at a lot of festivals for a long time, then set up for a theatrical release, then... Not around here. Shot down because of COVID, but it did hit a lot of small indie theaters. Who produced this movie? A lot of people. What (laughs) what production studio eventually picked it up? It was a small production company, I think, called Caviar. Oh, okay. I think they did, like, Nymphomaniac. They've done a lot of smaller stuff. Let's talk about the actors. The main guy whose name was Ruben in the film, was played by Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. I'd say up and coming, but he's 39 this year. He's here. And he's been blowing up for 20 years. He's here now. He's here now. He was in Rogue One. (laughs) He was in Rogue One. Like we said last podcast, he's the first Muslim to be nominated for Best Actor. Props to him. And he's English, he's British, but he was born... Pakistan. In Pakistan. Opposite him in the female lead was Olivia Cooke. Olivia Cook. That's right. Who played Lou or Louie. She's from French parentage, father at least. And her dad was played by uh, the villain from Quantum of Solace. Matthew Amalric, who I knew from Diving Bell and the Butterfly, a 2007 film. French film, by the way. But nothing matters because he was in Quantum of Solace <laughs> opposite James Bond. The, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly was probably one of the more interesting movie experiences of my life. It was about a guy who gets in a car accident and becomes paralyzed from the neck down and is essentially trapped inside of his own body. Holy smokes. Yeah. Crazy movie. Uh, also, I'd love to say that Paul Racy as Joe, I think his name is pronounced Racy. Again, I'm sorry if I butchered it. But Paul Racy as Joe did an incredible job as the leader of the deaf community. Yes. That Riz Ahmed went to stay with. I would say Rassy. Paul Rassy. Yeah. He had a wonderful performance, including one really intense scene with Riz where he has to essentially say, you got to go. And it's very sad. Olivia Cook is from Ready Player One, right? Yeah, she's she's done a lot, but Ready Player One... Not to be confused with Lily Rose Depp, Johnny Depp's daughter. Oh, her twin separated at birth? They look very similar. Yeah. Her twin separated at birth. <laughs> I get them confused. So let's talk about the sound. Yeah, so... Well, actually, let's come back to the sound. We'll talk about the premise really quick. And then we'll talk about why this sounds important. So the premise of this film, it's a metal rock drummer who's drumming for this small band he's in with his girlfriend, played by Olivia Cook. And Riz Ahmed is the drummer. This is an actual thing, I think, because when you said earlier that based off of his earlier script that he blew his own eardrum out, that is what happens 
two drummers, it's actually a, a very common thing because you're uh, a drummer. Yeah. So, but it's but it's like a very common thing that if you don't take care of your ears and you put your plugs in when you play, or you go to concerts or play in concerts, you need to wear headphones because you will ruin your hearing. You might go deaf. And it's also for the more like punk rock scene, you're kind of considered more badass if you don't wear earplugs. So it's like that stupid kind of you know you're smoking cigarettes kind of thing where it's a very. Uh, it's badass. You're so badass. This guy doesn't even wear earplugs. So anyway, he's a drummer for this rock band or a metal band. And then he begins to go deaf and then eventually goes deaf completely. And it turns his life upside down and uh, continues from there. And That's then, all in like the first 30 minutes too. Yeah. <laughs> and then the reason that the sound, the sound design, the use of sound in this film is interesting is because sometimes you're not hearing anything in this movie and then other times you're hearing what it might be like to hear things if you were slightly deaf yeah they take you in and out of ruben's perspective throughout the course of the film it's very well done in fact i think it might win for that who sound designed this and and who scored the film and what yeah well firstly the composer was nicholas becker who hadn't done a lot of scores in the past in this way, but he's done his own work in many films for the sound department, notably Gravity and Arrival, which both of those films, sound was again a big part of that. Huge. Huge. Yeah. So there's his resume. But the sound department, specifically a couple people, there was a big team working very hard, but a couple of the names that I was picking out of the hat were Jamie Baxht. It's pronounced... I don't know. Uh, it's spelled B-A-K-S-H-T. Viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> Baxed. And Michelle, again, Kutolank. <laughs> I don't know. They're making it really hard for me. This is my favorite part of our podcast. <laughs> uh, Jamie Baxed and Michelle Kutolank. I read... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I read they spent 10 weeks in a studio in Mexico. Mm. 10 weeks just working on the sound mix for this film. Doing Foley and stuff? Yeah, and just trying to, like you said, get you to experience what Ruben's going through just through that single sense of sound. And that means like the levels of deafness that he's going through to the silence that Steven said. Also, you know, through the parts where he had a hearing implant. Yeah. Where they bypass the cochlea or something, and then so you have this extremely—it's a mechanical device interpreting sound for you, but it doesn't act like your normal ears would. So the interesting thing about the sound design is that they use sounds that you would recognize as someone who has the ability to hear, and kind of the warbly, uh, metallic, metallic, or it's very coarse, high frequency, or chopped up, kind of like a bad cell reception sort of thing, something that you would be familiar with, and then interprets it for what that might sound like with this mechanical device picking up sound and then transmitting it to your brain. And then that is what you're hearing as you're watching this on screen. And the use of sound and how they actually designed that sound is very fascinating because, you know, for someone that hasn't experienced it or hasn't heard that kind of sound because you've been deaf and then had an implant, you would actually have no idea what it sounded like, but you can imagine how painstaking that would be to remember what it's like to have your hearing 
and then have a machine take over and try to interpret sounds for you and how strange that would be and how foreign that would be to be hearing something almost completely different from what you're used to hearing. It was very visceral. <laughs> it was extremely visceral. In fact, I don't usually get anxiety watching films <laughs> in terms of just like story beats, like whatever's happening mm-hmm. in the narrative. But what they were able to do in this film with sound, when t- with taking away what the audience is hearing with Ruben as the character. Just in the first 20 or 30 minutes, I was really on edge <laughs> and upset because I couldn't yeah. hear anything. Yeah, true. And that's, your sound is such a big part. Sound is not just in cinema, but in life. It's such a huge part of everything. True. So Some movies are like literally carried by the sound or the music or you know but anyway the sound team for this film they've done a lot of work in the past too the two that i mentioned jamie and michelle they worked on just a couple things to mention pan's labyrinth with guillermo del toro never heard of it they did apocalypto with mel gibson that movie's insane so these guys have been working on sound for gosh that movie's crazy decades refining their craft and this feels like just the perfect example of Mm -hmm what you're able to accomplish in this medium of art with a single aspect of it, sound. Speaking of sound, I don't know, this is kind of the perfect podcast to talk about this on, but did you hear that this year they got rid of both sound categories and combined them into one? What? Yeah. They got rid of sound mixing and sound editing and they combined them into best achievement in sound. What? It's super unfortunate. It probably feels as much of a slap in the face as it does to you as it does to me because it really, I think, just takes away the actual acknowledgement of the hard work that goes into this stuff and the actual realms of work that these people actually work in. Well, the Academy brushes over a lot of the smaller awards anyway, so it's not really very surprising, but it is upsetting. (laughs) It's super upsetting. (laughs) I'm really surprised that they did that because... It was two different films last year, wasn't it? That won those awards? Yeah, I think so. It's usually, I think. Well, it's because sound is a much more complex thing than people realize, and it's just sad to me that that happened. I remember you explaining how that differed, those two awards, to me in our last Academy run. I think it was for Ford versus Ferrari. I can't remember. But you're talking about why they were so distinct. Yeah. Why now we're here and they're combining them. It's unbelievable to me that they would do that because they're different people that work on those different things. Sound editing, sound design, sound mixing, they're all different jobs. Foley, the sound recording, they're all different jobs. Teams of people, in fact, work on that kind of stuff. Next, they're going to be combining all the the production design and the makeup and the set yeah, and the art. They're just going to give that one award away. Uh, <laughs> this next Academy Award goes to Best Looking Film. Most surreal aesthetic. Cinematography's in there. (laughs) God. But speaking of which, we should talk about really quick what Sound of Metal is nominated for. It is nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Riz Ahmed, as we said before. Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Paul Racy or Rassi. I have no idea. I still don't know. He was great. Best Film Editing and Best Sound, because Best Sound is the category now. Wow. Which I do think it might win. Yeah, it seems like a shoe-in, considering. What else is up for best sound this year? So we got News of the World. More like Who of the World. <laughs> um, Mank, Sound of Metal, Soul, and a movie called Greyhound, which I don't know anything about. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Well, there's some good other contenders in there, but I feel like Sound of Metal is probably in the bag. Yeah, I agree. It is the sound of metal. It has sound in the name. Yeah, exactly. It deserves best achievement in sound. It's clear cut. Just like your hair. Bag it and tag it. 
One thing that I found most interesting about this movie, apart from all of the devices that it's using about having once heard and then lost your hearing and then having it come back through these mechanical devices, was that the main character, Ruben, he thinks his life is over. And that is kind of the whole plot of the movie is he thinks his life is over and he's trying to get his life back. All the while, it's showing you something completely different in that what he thinks he finds happiness in is one thing, which is music and his girlfriend. But then what the film is showing you is that he actually finds peace and happiness in something else entirely that he never really knew existed. All the while, he's still pursuing the thing that he thinks makes him happy, which is the ability to hear music and his relationship and his life that he had with his girlfriend living in his van. And then the resolution, and this is kind of a spoiler territory by the end of the film that I found most interesting is toward the end, he chooses to turn off the implants and go back to the piece that he found in the middle of his respite that he was forced to take because he lost his hearing, where he actually found peace and happiness. And I thought that that was truly astounding character development and writing and that it played out perfectly. You don't see that often in movies. And the last thing that you see, the last scene of this movie is him turning off his implant and finding peace in the thing that he didn't really think would bring him peace, which was actually being in silence and sitting in in the quiet and listening, which there's a lot to be said there, but I found that to be very astonishing character development and obviously the writing there and the subtext of everything and how it played out and what the main character was telling you versus what the film was showing you was truly fascinating. Beautifully said. True. It's the character of Ruben and also the character of Lou. They're recovering addicts. Mm, I forgot that. The reason I think it's so important is because this film and the process of him letting go of what he held so dear beforehand, it seems like the whole film is still about addiction. I mean, in a single word, even though it's not a drug or alcohol, because he had already gotten past that point in his life. But him learning to let go of what he thought was his life, what he thought was so important to him, which was like you said, you know, his music and his relationship. Getting to put that behind him, it seemed like he was trying to get over an addiction and he was going through withdrawal for the course of the film. And it's funny to, to think about that because that house that he stayed at was full of deaf people. The whole meat of this movie takes place mostly at this house with a bunch of deaf people where he learns to be deaf, essentially. And those are all people that have been deaf for a while, but those people are all recovering addicts. So he gets to go through this process with them that he's already gone through. He's already, you know, gotten rid of his heroin addiction and all the other drugs he was a part of. But his relationship and his connection to his old life, it's still essentially an addiction. And he goes through the same course of, you know, events that most people would have. And then that idea is, I think, hammered home in that scene towards the end with Paul Rassi, uh, Joe, right after he's gotten the operation to have his implants in. And Joe tells Ruben that you're essentially acting like an addict right now, trying to scramble and get back to your old way of living. That's right, yeah. Because he sort of went behind Joe's back and he sold all of his own possessions, Ruben did, to you know have the money to afford this operation. Now he wants to buy back his van. He wants to, he's trying to ask Joe for money. And he's, he's exhibiting all the tendencies of someone who's going through withdrawal and is you know dealing 
with the throes of addiction, trying to move through that and forward. And Paul or Joe says to Ruben, you're behaving exactly as an addict would right now. And like you said, it's through the course of the film and right at the end after he's finally had closure with Lou after reconnecting with her after however long it's been, that he realizes that he can move past that now. There's this beautiful moment of realization uh, right before the final scene where he's in bed with Lou after having met her again. At first, he's trying to sort of recruit her to come back to their old way of living, where they're both sort of living day to day between gigs, driving through the Midwest of America. Even though they're doing okay, it's it seems like that they're they're not well. At least Lou's not well. She's uh, like scratching and everything. And anyway, flash forward to the scene where Ruben finally catches up with her after learning to be deaf, but he's gotten his implants anyway, and he's trying to get back to his old life and his old relationship with Lou. And he finally realizes that that's not it anymore for right. him. That the, they've both moved past that, and it's time to move forward with his life. And he realizes in that scene with her, uh, after he tries to get her to come back with him, that that's not where she should be anymore. And there's very subtle cues to that in that scene, too. Like, for instance, where she begins all of a sudden to start to scratch at her arm again, which is an old tendency of hers from when they were living together. And I think that's when it clicked for Ruben, that he, he had to move on. So that idea just made the ending all the more beautiful to me, where, like you said, he was able to finally live in that silence and accept who he is now and move forward with his life. So yeah, it it was very powerful. A lot of people I've read have had trouble with the ending because it was sort of abrupt, and you're not sure what's next for Ruben. But I think everything that needed to be said was said or, or done, that he's finally put his life behind him, and he's ready to do whatever's next. So yeah, I thought it was beautiful as well. It was great. Got a couple of fun facts. Riz spent six months learning the drums for this film. Oh, he did? And apparently Olivia Cook actually wrote and uh, performed herself the opening track to the film where she's singing. Yeah. They're, they're doing their performance. And Riz also learned sign language for the film, and he hopes, you know, ASL will become more popular for people uh, in America. A lot of those scenes were unscripted. For instance, the scenes with the kids at the school where he was helping to mentor them, I guess, as he himself is learning to be deaf, and he spent the time to sort of learn and live with them. Knowing that, looking back, it really makes the film 